Welcome to Tiger Paw Radio, the podcast that tackles all the challenges and opportunities of channel convergence. If you provide managed IT, managed print, VoIP, security, or other technology-driven services for your customers, this podcast is for you. Tiger Paw Radio, exploring channel convergence one stripe at a time. And now, here are our hosts, James Foxall and Wes McDonald. So my name is Wes McDonald. I'm one of your hosts for the show. And uh, I am the VP of Business Development at Tiger Paw Software. I've also got James Foxall, our head tiger, on the call. James, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm James Foxall. I'm the president and CEO of Tiger Paw. We've been around 36 years, and I've been around most of that time. That's great. And uh, hey, you know what? I forgot to introduce one interesting thing about myself, but I'm going to ask you first. If you could share with our listeners just one thing that may not know about you. Sure. Uh, let's see. I'm a diver, and uh, two of the more interesting places I've Dove were very polar opposites. Uh, actually, one of my dives was in St. Louis, Missouri, in Bonterre Mine. It's actually an old lead mine that's flooded that wow. you can go, and it's all cave diving in 60 degree water, which was kind of terrifying and brutal and really, really cool. And the most amazing place I've had a chance to dive is actually the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. And, and particularly with a lot of the die off and the things that are going on there right now, I'm really grateful for having that opportunity. No kidding. And I thought when you said polar opposites, you're going to tell me that you actually dove on both the poles, but uh, those places sound a lot more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still hoping to go diving in the, in the tank with the great white sharks at some point. It's on my bucket list. <laughs> One day. Yeah, One day. One interesting thing about me that people may not know is that I'm a huge fan of Patrick O'Brien. So I'm not sure if anyone's seen the movie Master and Commander, uh, The Golden Age of Sale. Great movie. Uh, oh, just love that movie. We're going to be talking about mega dealers. And mega dealers are uh, something that's fairly new in our industry. I know that we've always had uh, acquisitions and consolidation, uh, but the size and scale and scope of some of the dealers in the industry now are, are bigger than anything we've ever seen. So to help us uh, get a better understanding of what that means for the office equipment world, we're very lucky today to have both Tanya Stone and uh, Jeff Bendix. So uh, I'm gonna let you guys introduce yourselves. So uh, Tanya, introduce yourself and, and don't forget to give us one interesting thing about yourself. Sure thing. Uh, this is Tanya Stone, and I am the VP of Strategic Technology at Great America Financial Services. And the interesting thing about me is I am an addict to game shows. Um, there probably isn't a game show out there that I haven't watched, um, even if it's an oldie but a goodie. Um, and James, when you were talking about diving, I thought you meant like into a pool. So pretty cool. But... <laughs> That's more like belly flopping. <laughs> well, I, I was like, wow, he needs like with equipment. So <laughs> and Lonnie Dangerfield was... and what is it back in school? The triple Oh, Indy? that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, no, that's a good one. So thank you, West and James for having me on here. I'm excited well, to talk about this. And I didn't know about the game show thing. I got questions for oh. you later. <laughs> Stop me if you can. I didn't say I'm cool. good at him, by the way. <laughs> I just enjoy watching them. <laughs> well, and, and one other interesting fact, but I think everyone knows this, that uh, this year, at the time of recording, you're the president of the Managed Print Service Association. And uh, Mr. Bendix, Jeff Bendix, would you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Happy to. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, and yeah, as Wes said, my name is Jeff Bendix. I'm the uh, founder and president of uh, my, my company, Bendix Imaging. Uh, today, we often go under the DBA uh, Bendix Technology Center because we do a lot more than just, uh, than just imaging. But uh, we started as a cartridge remanufacturing company back in the year 2000. So um, coming up on uh, pretty close to two decades here. So uh, and we 
grew out of just a cartridge remanufacturer uh, within a, a short amount of time right when managed print was starting to um, uh, come into its own, uh, changed the focus of the company and, and, uh, and headed uh, head first into the managed print space and, uh, and hung out there for quite a, quite a long time until about five years ago I started adding uh, managed IT services and different things to now we're a full-blown technology company. Yeah, that's excellent. Nice. I really enjoyed watching uh, that part of your business grow. I've always been a huge converged services fan, and uh, you're one of those dealers, one of those people that's really grabbed it by the horns and had a lot of you know success with it, right? And I know you're having a really good year, so congratulations on all the growth. What about you? Do do people not know that they might find interesting? Well, one of my uh, one of my side little hobbies uh, that I do. Uh, uh, mainly just in the summertime, but uh, we do professional fireworks shows. So uh, it's all computerized and scripted, and you know we uh, put together the audio soundtracks and then computerize every individual shot and uh, what's going up in the air when and at what time. So uh, that's that's pretty fun, especially in the summertime. But um, it takes a lot of work outside the summertime too. And in fact, uh, it's not all the way together yet. But right now, uh, it's looking pretty good. We'll probably spend. Next 4th of July on the top of Mount Rushmore. Uh, what? Doing, uh, fireworks off of Mount Rushmore. Oh, we may have a road trip in our future. I think so, I Wow. Hey, just remember where you're sending a few invites. Yep. Absolutely. You'll, you'll get an invite, uh, and, and uh, for, for sure, uh, we get that together. But uh, one other little one, or um, uh, may possibly go and be going to Dubai to do the uh, world's largest fireworks show out there every year on New Year's Eve. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's just incredible. I don't know when you have time to sleep. Really appreciate you both being on the show today. And, and I think before we go any further, I mean, we live in an industry that is full of acronyms and terms that uh, not everyone's going to be familiar with. And when we talk about mega dealers, maybe, Tanya, I'll get you to jump in on this one first, uh, because in your role at Great America, you're dealing with you know, dealers of all shapes and sizes have been for a lot of years. You know, could you just share with us for a second what a mega dealer is, what it looks like, maybe some examples? Sure. Um, so Great America got its start working with independent dealers. And, and obviously, as everybody knows, um, acquisitions have been coming from all over. And as a part of that, some of those acquisitions have then been purchased uh, by private equity firms. And so um, we've seen, you know, DEX obviously as a mega dealer being, you know, purchased by Staples and, and you've got, you know, VET, you've got Oval, Sentinel, Norwest. There, there's just a, a variety of them and it seems like they're starting to kind of cover the in, entire United States. And so kind of the, the mega dealers that are owned by those private equity firms go through a series of different stages where they get into heavy acquisition mode and they're just buying different market areas or maybe even different brands within the same market area. Um, and so then you kind of see that shift a little bit into a different part of the strategy where then maybe they're trying to streamline the operations. And then after those streamlining operations, then they may be trying to cut costs. And, and so then there might be an exit strategy of, of then are they for sale. And so you, you kind of see that same pattern happening. And one of the things to mention is that there's a lot of private equity involved in our space right now. Is that a requirement to be a mega dealer? Are there some dealers out there that are large, that are national, uh, that are doing a lot of acquisitions that are, you know, that are private as well, that are using their own money? 
Um, we have definitely seen it start that way, um, and it, it feels like there's almost a tipping point where they're using their own money, and then at some point, um, then it starts to get into the private equity money. So, yes, there definitely are some out there, um, but the question is, are they going to continue to grow? And if so, when do the funds run out, and when do they kind of cross that line into PE? Right. Interesting. So it just seems like a natural progression into the evolution of what they're doing. You know, yeah. for the next the next question I'm going to ask is just moving into smaller off squimit dealers. And Tanya, you touched on it a little bit, but when we're looking at these mega dealers, when they're moving into your markets, um, you know, possibly there uh, were dealerships that were smaller that you competed against that are now part of these, you know, mega dealer structures. Jeff, maybe you can share some of the things that you have to do to be able to stand on your own in competitive situations. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, price is often an issue that these mega dealers have bigger buying power, that they have uh, lower prices for you know, certain things. How do you compete against that as a strong regional dealer like yourself? Sure, yeah. Price is always a point that comes up um, you know, in, in any type of transaction, naturally, but uh, price isn't always the um, determining factor. Uh, as well as you're, you know, reasonable. And uh, so price isn't always a determining factor. You said something there I want you to expand on a little bit. So maybe they've had a, sure. you know, poor experience. So do you think that that's, that the level of service that you give as a smaller dealer is, uh, is better? And if so, why? Yeah, so the better is a subjective term and it's going to mean something different for, uh, for every different person you ask. But uh, yeah, in many cases, yes. Smaller deals are often better positioned to serve certain customers much better than a mega dealer. Uh, maybe it's geographical. Um, maybe it's, it's the fact that uh, if a customer is calling in for service or support, you're just a number. You know, you, you need your customer number or your equipment ID number. They won't look anything up for you. Uh, it's much more difficult where a smaller dealer generally knows the customer much better, knows the individuals that work there, you know, the end users that are actually on the front lines using the equipment every day, what challenges they have in their organization. Also, you know, companies like ours that are diversified into other things, we often handle many other technical services for them, not just their print. Uh, we might be handling their email, their phones, their cybersecurity needs, their um, computers, servers, you know, the entire network operations. So, Yeah, now you know it's a bit self-serving for me, but I am a huge convergence um, enthusiast and believer. And, and Tanya, what do you think? Do you think that having these diversified services for dealers, especially for the smaller regional ones, is going to help them? Uh, you know, to win, to compete with these mega dealers? Oh, I think, I think that's probably one of the key elements. Um, Salesforce put out a, a study and it, it said, uh, it, was, it was called the state of the connected customer. And they were talking about the customer expectations and kind of what, what customers expect today. And they even broke the study into consumer and, and, and B2B customers. And customers expect companies to anticipate their needs. And in today's market, people have needs and companies have needs beyond just imaging. And so if you are able to proactively provide services that solve their business problems, then you're already going to become that, that trusted partner for them. Um, and, and just to kind of add on to something that you had said about, you know, the, the price always being important, whether you believe this study or not, um, I think it was across like 6,000 different companies, 82% um, of B2B customers said that they are willing to pay more for a great experience. So you think about how does that translate into what the independent office 
equipment dealer is providing. And you kind of mash that up with the different life cycle stages of a mega dealer. Um, if you are at the point where they have centralized maybe the administration, um, it's exactly like Jeff said, they're going to call into their local office and the person that can actually solve their problem may not actually be in that office. It's been centralized, you know, in some other city and some other state. Well, that's not a great customer experience. So when, when customers are thinking about how they want to spend their money, time is a very important currency for them. So giving them that great experience, um, knowing that they according to the study, are willing to pay more for that great experience, but you as an office equipment dealer then have to deliver it. Um, you can't just charge more and then offer you know, the same experience they, they could get anywhere. Um, but I, I think offering the converged services is, is a phenomenal way to do so. I mean, who doesn't want a company that can, that can meet their needs and solve their real business problems? I mean, I think people buy from people. And so, I mean, it, it, it just depends on how good of an experience they're getting from that. Um, I think, you know, even in the mega dealers, there can be a local presence. Um, but it, again, it's just how are they servicing the dealer? And so how how is that experience translating? And are they able to show the value? Because, you know, customers just want to have their needs met. They don't care about the departments. They don't care about, you know, what has to happen on the back end. They just want to have whatever their needs are met. And I would uh, add to that that I think they, the, the more needs that one vendor can provide, the better off they are, right? Who, who likes to make payments to multiple vendors and you have different people to have to call when things go wrong with different things, right? And that's why we preach conversions forever. West, I go farther than to say we have a lot of that are in conversions. That is really our that's our niche, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if you're a pure play managed service provider, for example, if you're three people doing nothing but services, you know, and any of the, the major PSAs will do a great job for you. You know, where we start to shine is when you start having those multiple lines of business and you're moving equipment in addition to servicing it. We've always preached on the managed services side to diversify because that's how you, you reduce the risk of commoditization. But we've seen a parallel of what's happening in the office equipment dealer space and convergence that mimics what we saw in the telecom space in the 90s and early 2000s. I know Tanya has the same level of experience I do with this, right? We saw, you know, a, a market that the margins were changing, the products were changing, owners were in their late 50s and 60s and looking to get out only to find their businesses weren't valued what they thought they'd be valued. Many thought they'd have a son or daughter that would take over and that didn't happen. And they were left to, to come up with the decision of what do I do now? And the ones that were successful were the ones that moved into managed services and became converged businesses. The cool thing is they've made the path, right, for the office equipment dealer that wants to take the same road. It's been traveled many, many times. There's signposts and there's people to help you. But we've, we've seen that happen. We don't, we don't think it's just a nice thing to do. We think it's a critical component in a successful forward business model. Yeah, and probably it, it really doesn't matter what size of business you are, right? That if you want to continue to add real growth, not just growth through acquisition, that you've got to, you know, to be able to offer more to those customers. And I love that idea. You know, I've heard it called one throat to choke. Uh, single mm -hmm. source, you know, there's lots of different terms for it, but giving the customer that ability, you know, to be able to have one person to take care of as many of their needs as possible, right? Well, and there's some value in pricing too. And you talk about the commoditization and a lowballing. The more services that you can package, the more you're, you know, I, I don't want to say this is like a negative way of obscuring your price. We're not talking about being dishonest or cheating people, but you know, there's a reason we don't want to give quotes that have line items on it, right? Because we don't want people going to Amazon and shopping those individual items. So when you can turn around with a turnkey managed services offering that includes some hardware and services across multi-spectrum, it becomes a lot easier to be profitable on that, not, not get nickel and dimed on the individual components. 
Yeah. And I think, Tanya, you can probably speak to that a bit too, because as a finance organization, you're not just financing office equipment. Not at all. Um, to James's point, we're, we're doing IT equipment, um, telephony, uh, I mean, all of it. Anything that you can provide in an office is something that is, that is probably financeable. Um, on top of that, the services related to it, um, we do a lot of bundling. Um, I think like 70% of our contracts are bundled. Um, and there's a reason that that's so successful for our dealers to be bundling things. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is, you know, as you're talking to your end users, it's, it's, it's something that gets overlooked a lot that has a great value to that end user is how are they being invoiced? Um, wow. Are there special invoicing considerations that they should have? You know, do they need an Excel invoice so that they can import it into whatever accounting or ERP that they're using? So, I mean, there, there's value beyond just uh, providing them equipment. It's a service. It's, it's, it's the making it easier for them to pay their bills. It's, it's that whole package that creates that customer experience. And you're really talking about making the business of how they run their businesses every day easier, right? To make sure that it's... Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. That's what true partners do. You know, you're, you, if you think of yourself as just providing office equipment, then I think you've lost a little bit. Um, if you think of it as being that technology provider that Jeff had mentioned earlier, you're, you're solving real business problems and you're making it more efficient for whatever that end user's business is to spend more time doing it. Hey, uh, Jeff, you're the one person on the call that's you know, probably competing with mega dealers on a daily basis, right? So what, what's different now as you're you know, competing against these mega dealers? Uh, well, it, d definitely, uh, you know, like you just said, diversification. Uh, our growth into serving other needs outside of print. Um, today, we focus a lot on cybersecurity. You know, everybody's talking about cybersecurity. You hear it every single day. Um, so, uh, but, but not a lot of companies really package that well together and have spent the time and energy and research to understand it and, uh, and how these things happen and, and uh, what you can do to protect people from that. So, we, we focus a lot on cybersecurity. We have a great solution stack around that. And it's a combination of multiple, multiple different products, plus services, plus the way we structure networks. Um, we make that very affordable and easy to implement, very easy for the customer, you know, basically pain, you know, painless for them. Um, we come in, we roll it out, and, and then we back it up with a $1 million guarantee. They will not get hacked. They will not get ransomware. They will not get anything or we pay for it. We guarantee all that. Once we get that stack in place, that trust is built. We're taking the ownership for their entire operation running well, and everything else starts to fall into place. They need computers. They need printers. They need multifunction devices. They need email. They need anything they need. They need phone systems. Um, we're the ones that, uh, that generally pick up that next piece of business, and we just keep growing with the customer. Well, what a great message. And that is, you know, something I think that as a regional dealer is someone that's really focused on something to be able to build that expertise, right? It's, it's also one of the first times I've heard, at least from a managed print provider, the viability of offering cybersecurity services, right? And starting there, because it sounds like you're using that almost as a beachhead, saying, let's get their trust, let's show them that we can protect them. And then the other stuff is easy. Uh, literally yesterday, I signed a contract with a new customer um, came in from because uh, problems with other vendors 
telephone problems, believe it or not. Um, we ended up taking over all the telephones, starting to uh, address some of their network security, went in to get the paperwork signed, and they said, we already emailed all our locations. Said, don't call anybody else anymore. Call them. And they held up my business card. We have multiple numbers. Is this the number that's okay for them to call? Everybody's <laughs> already calling you. Before we even had the contract signed. I see you just changed the toner cartridge. We'll handle that for you too. Oh, okay. We'll call you for that now too. Tanya, you do a lot of deals and you help dealers finance a lot of things. And, you know, if you were to think about it and offer any advice for dealers out there, what should they be thinking about when they're building a deal? you know, that, that might not have the same price breaks as a mega dealer. So what kind of things can they do to get away from that price conversation? Uh, again, I really think it comes down to not talking about equipment and not talking about the technology, but solving what the concerns of the business are. Um, some of our most successful relationships, we're actually sitting at the table while those dealers are doing their strategic planning. And so if you sort of extend that model out, if the dealer can be sitting at the table while those end users are doing their strategic planning and they hear what the direction of that end user, where they're trying to go, how they're trying to get there, they will be able to better see how they can meet those needs through technology. Um, we're a firm believer that technology can solve lots of problems, but it isn't um, shouldn't be what you lead with because you can buy technology like James has said you can buy it anywhere but but if you're solving those problems and you understand where that business is going um, price becomes a, a much less consideration for that end user yeah it's interesting what you say because I've you know in 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 my capacity at least doing managed print assessments uh, one of the things that we would always do is try and get into their strategic initiatives right try and find out the five things you know, that they're going to be doing over the year. And, and, and I can remember sometimes working with the, you know, the copy reps and say, why are we talking about that? Like this has nothing to do with their print infrastructure. And, and I would respond that, well, actually, I think it's got everything to do with their print infrastructure because you're going to exactly. find out exactly what keeps them up at night, uh, the direction that they're heading. Maybe there's some uh, document management involved here. Maybe there's some other, you know, workflow solutions, which you're never going to know unless you're at the table listening to those strategic level conversations. I, I have yet to meet a business owner that does not love to talk about what they're doing for the year, right? Well, and you just think about it. What if, what if you heard that they're planning on opening another office? I mean, that's opportunity abundant right there for you. You know, so I mean, some, something that they may be doing from a strategic mindset for their own business definitely can play into how you can help them. I mean, if, if they're trying to open another office, there's a whole lot of things that they're going to have to manage. Wouldn't it be easy if they didn't have to manage the infrastructure in order to support that second office? Yes, absolutely. But when we talk about the end game for mega dealers, I know that you talk about in some senses, they're an exit strategy. We've had an interesting summer to say the least with the uh, HP slash Xerox deal for managed print. And we've seen uh, certainly some fallout from that uh, for people that do have, you know, sort of VC funds or private equity, you know, behind them, right? So do, do you think that's going to affect kind of some of the exit plans for some of these mega dealers? Uh, do you think they're fine or, or what, what is the strategy at all? Just business as usual or what's the end game? You know, like I said, I, I think that there's, there's a life cycle um, and you can probably start to, to, 
determine what stage they're in based on what the spending patterns are. Um, if they're looking to consolidate activities and they're really sort of squeezing the expense out that feels like they're prepping for a sale, you know, and, and that's when I think an independent dealer can really have that opportunity to, to provide that, that service that, that explained the legacy story that they've had, you know, talk about, you know, Jeff was talking about how long they've been, how their business has evolved, what their future strategy plan is. Um, in educating the end users from the independence perspective of, you know, we're a family-run business, we've been around this many years, here's what we're planning on doing. I think that's a really good competitive advantage because, again, people buy from people. We tend to focus a lot more on customers that, um, you know, want a little bit more of a white glove service. Uh, they want to hands off. They just want somebody to manage everything and just take care of that uh, for them, so that uh, maybe the IT director or uh, whatever other C-level person doesn't need to deal with it. Uh, I think that it's yeah. also important when we look at like because of the amount of managed services that you're doing now. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What's growing more, your managed printing or your managed services business? Uh, Managed services definitely is what's uh, uh, growing. Managed print is still larger, but managed services is where all the growth is coming from. Okay. And of that portion, you've got a a strong portion of the business, I would say, which is probably recurring revenue, right? Correct. Okay. And, And James, that's something you can speak to as well, right? Because you've just gone through an exercise of moving your company into a recurring revenue model. Yeah, we did, and we just kind of gotten through the bulk of that here early this year. It was about a two-and-a-half-year process, and it was a challenging, difficult, scary-as-hell process, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, you know, uh, we, used to, we used to sell our software, you know, and sometimes it would be some good-sized sales. And uh, I think we were one of the few software companies that actually used to do leasing through Great America. They were a great partner for us, you know, and some, some of these larger clients, and they would do a three-year lease. They would put maintenance on it. It would be $25,000, $30,000, you know, uh, asset purchase, right? Yep. And then you move, you move to $800 a month instead, right? So your cash flow, you know, takes a huge hit. We burned an awful lot of cash and, you know, it was pretty scary. Uh, and there's a lot of lessons and maybe we should do a whole podcast on that some point in time and get John McGinnis on here, but uh, <laughs> I, you know, I saw some stories, but it was absolutely worth it. And what I, what I try to tell people is when you get that recurring revenue going, it, it is life-changing. I look at our business every day different than I used to. I can think about the future more, right? Because I don't come in and turn that key on the first of the month and it goes click and I start at zero, right? I mean, it it takes, what, 20, 26 days to make all your expenses and payroll before you start making any kind of profit, right? And you don't know if you're going to get there. Um, I remember, you know, from terrorist attacks uh, having an effect on us. My dad's got stories. There's an, or he was about ready when he was a small company, about ready to close a big deal in California. And he's sitting in a bar, literally celebrating. He's going to close this deal the next day. And on the news was an earthquake in that very same city and that deal disappeared. So, I mean, you know, most business owners know what it's like to live in that world. And that when that recurring revenue is coming and you can count on it and you can start making an investment decisions in your business without that fear of where is that next dollar coming from. It's incredibly liberating and positive and productive. And it's not, it's not an easy thing to do, but it is very attainable. There are ways to get it done. Yeah, but I think extremely beneficial for, you know, customers as well, right? To understand that, A, you're stable as a company because of that recurring revenue, but B, that we're only as good as our last month, right? That, you know, yes. You know, it's a there was a lot rent. of resistance from clients, right? Oh, oh you're just going to get me hooked on renting from you. And you have to add ed- that education. It's like, look, there are choices. We're not the only PSA right. out there. 
you know, and there are some pretty dang good choices, actually. And I'll go to head-to-head with any of them, but, you know, my, my worst nightmare is somebody who comes to me and says, I ran your top two competitors. They didn't work for me. I want to run you. It's like, well, it's, it's not the competitors are the problem, right? There are viable options. Uh, but so I, to keep your business, I have to continue to earn your business. You know, if I don't innovate my product and, I, and you know, and next year's renewal comes up, are you going to still stay with me or look at leaving me, right? So you're right. But people don't instinctively realize that. They think you're locking me into rental. You're never going to take good care of me. And there is a process in educating them. I have to earn it every month. Well, I think so. And, and, and Jeff, I mean, you've been in the business long enough where you were, you know, in the past predominantly, a, you know, a sales-based model for, you know, printing equipment, et cetera. And now, you know, most of the business being uh, recurring revenue, I've, I've got to think that that's a part of the, you know, of, of the ammunition that you have when you're dealing, you know, with some of these things about that level of service that you talked about earlier, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's uh, a, another way to shape the conversation with the customer and um, uh, like picking up of what uh, James just said, you know, like again, going back to the deal we just closed yesterday, it was, uh, you know, a five-figure deal with zero dollars down, zero dollars up front. And I think that really is, you know, kind of the future of, you know, giving customers what they want with those new buying habits, right? And uh, Tanya, when you're financing deals uh, with customers, how, how much more are you seeing? Are you seeing changes in how finance is being done as well? Absolutely. And, and I think that's sort of the, the thing that separates us is if, if you want to get money, you can probably get cheaper money somewhere else. Um, our goal really is to provide just like I was talking about, um, figure out what the, the needs of our dealers are and provide solutions that really help them um, grow their own businesses. So we have a master managed service provider. Um, we found that for some office equipment dealers that really aren't ready to make the financial plunge into building their own NOC uh, and, and tier one, tier two support, we can help them with that until they are ready to. Um, we've even seen established managed service providers say, you know what, we want our engineers to spend time in the more value-added opportunities. Um, so they would like us to do the tier one stuff or, or maybe the automated patching or, or some of those types of things. So again, that's just one of our examples. We also have PathShare, which is uh, a, an HR service, which we do strategic planning. Um, we help them define what the hiring profiles look like. Um, so, I mean, anything that is a, a need of a, a dealership, chances are we probably have some offering around it because the benefit of working with thousands of different dealers is we get the opportunity to see what are the challenges across and then offer things that they probably couldn't do on their own, especially at the independent dealer level um, that we can offer and they can all take advantage of. Well, that's great. And, you know, from what I've gotten out of this conversation so far today, I've certainly got, you know, four very strong themes that have carried throughout. One is if you're a smaller dealer competing against a mega dealer, you've really got to focus on how you service your customers, make the experience great. The second thing that I walked away with is understanding your customers' business strategies, right? Moving beyond what we're selling them and trying to understand where they're going, what their direction is, and how you can help them to make that easier and help them to get there faster. We've also talked about diversifying services. And Jeff, you're a living example of that, you know, that your largest growth set right now is the managed services side. And the other thing that I got was that we have to earn their business every single month. And that's not a bad thing that a recurring revenue model 
you know, for the future is probably a pretty important thing to stay healthy. One thing I'd like to move on to is just some closing thoughts. So I'm going to invite all of you to actually give us one piece of advice, you know, for dealers that are looking to get serious about innovation in their business, about making sure they're as strong as possible, regardless of the mega dealer climate. And uh, maybe James, I'll actually get you to start this one. Sure. You know, the one thing I would say is, you know, when we talk, and because I understand what it's like to compete against behemoths, and, you know, you, it, the, the natural tendency is to look for their weaknesses and compete against those weaknesses. My bit of advice would be to make sure that you're paying attention to what they're doing and learn from them. You know, Wes, you and I did a podcast with Jeff Gow from Marco and Bill McLaughlin mm-hmm. from Atlantic Tomorrow's office. It'll also be posted, you know, and they're preaching managed services, right? That's where they're going after for their growth and for their money. So while you want to find their weaknesses and you want to compete against those weaknesses, don't discount the fact that these guys are big. They spend a lot of money and research and time and attention and learn from that, right? Look at the products they're selling. Look at the pricing they're offering. Look at the diversification they're doing and ask yourself, how, what can I leverage from that? What can I make my own? Because, again, I, what I hate to see is when business owners are trying to recreate the wheel every day. You know, yeah. what Tanya just mentioned about having their knock. You know, that's what I mean by the path is done. You don't have to go figure out how to do this. There are partners like that that can do it for you, right? So take advantage of what's been done before you. Take advantage of the knowledge that's already out there to make this transition. Don't go it alone. And Tanya, how about you? What piece of advice can you give our dealers? I'm going to reference the uh, added, uh, the cobbler who has no shoes. Um, We've seen a lot of dealers starting to go into the selling technology and the way that they do their own operations in-house is anything but using technology. And Mm -hmm. so I think if you're really going to get serious about innovation, um, it's really important to not just look outside your four walls, but to look inside and say, what am I doing to best service my customer? Because your employees are actually the very front line to your customers. And if your employees are not having a good experience and whatever they are doing or using from a technology perspective, that will translate to your customers. And so I think it's important to Look at the system that you're using. Take advantage of the integrations. Don't no more double keying things if 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 that's possible, and and just really try to streamline the operations because the time that you're going to save, you're going to be able to reallocate towards better servicing the customer and giving them a better customer experience. And Jeff Bendix, what about you? Closing thoughts. Yeah, those are those are both uh, a lot of great uh, comments that were made from. Uh, from James and Tanya, and, and uh, echoing some of those last things that Tanya said, um, uh, you know about using the products and services that you're offering your customers in in house. Uh, we try to always make it a point to get uh, you know try to get NFR versions or licenses or equipment, and actually use the exact same things here, sandbox in our own environment. Um, make sure it's uh, the way we want to structure things and build our business around uh, before we offer it out to the customers. So it's a great point. But uh, as you're thinking about that, you know, we've talked a lot about diversification and things today, and people have been um, uh, waving that flag for a number of years. But uh, just make sure you don't get tunnel vision. You know, f- find a way to serve the customer and uh, something that people need and are asking for. Uh, but those may not be your same customers that you're serving today you may pick up a different customer base or start serving a different customer base. So don't get tunnel vision and just look at your customers you're serving today with your print infrastructure. Uh, so you can, can have multiple 
revenue streams to multiple different types of customer profiles. Well, that's great. And I appreciate that uh, wisdom from uh, all of you. And that ends another episode of Tiger Paw Radio. I want to thank all of our guests and all of our listeners. And until our next episode, keep learning, diversifying, and growing. And so we come to the end of another exciting episode of Tiger Paw Radio. If you'd like to listen to more, please be sure to visit www.tigerpaw.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast platforms to be sure you never miss another episode. And until next time, keep learning, keep growing, and keep that inner tiger strong.